0: Closer Look.
1: I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. My guest today is Kim Humphrey, Executive Director of PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. It's good to have you, Kim.
0: Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's one of those things where when you when you introduce yourself and say you're associated with that organization, it it kind of gives away, you know, what's been happening in your life.
1: Can you tell us briefly about the history of PAL? PAL
0: is a, is a Christian-run organization. We're incorporated as a Christian organization. So all of our leadership affirms uh, a Christian statement of faith. Our meetings are open to anyone, any faith, any background. We see it as a ministry. We see it as an opportunity to be there for others, especially in something that we've been through. I would tell you that I would have never believed in a million years that that would have happened to my wife and I. Uh, with our sons, but it did. And thank goodness uh, we found uh, this organization. uh, It was about 10 years ago, and it truly was a lifesaver. I mean, you know, the guilt and the shame that goes along with, with finding this out and it's going on in your family. And then honestly, you don't know what to do. I mean, and your natural parenting skills sometimes, unfortunately, don't help. And so when we found PAL, it was like, okay, we're not alone. There's other people that have been down this road. And, you know, it was unique because they have an educational component. So when we showed up at the meeting, they, they talked about the issue of addiction and recovery and, and all of this. And that really made a difference, uh, especially to me. But even more so was just being around others that could relate. And you know, share their stories and and walk with us as as we were going through something that, well, frankly, that no parent ever wants to have to deal with.
1: So, how does PAL work? PAL is parents of addicted loved ones. How does it work? Well, it's it's essentially you know a,
0: what you would think of as a as a support group, but it's unique um, because unlike other groups where you might just uh, you know talk. You know, uh, you go in and talk to others about what their experience is. As I mentioned before, PAL has an educational component. So if somebody wants to go to a meeting, they they go online to our website. They they find a local meeting, hopefully one that's in person, although we do offer virtual meetings. And you just show up. And most of the meetings are weekly. And so you, you show up and the facilitator who is going to be a peer, in other words, somebody that's going through this as well, is going to lead a discussion about an educational topic that, you know, might help you understand, you know, why you're dealing with what you're dealing with or, you know, what's happening or how things work. And then, and then after that, you're given an opportunity to, to basically talk about it and, and share, you know, what's happening. And if you're interested, you can ask for suggestions, you know, I, I'm dealing with this and, you know, my, my, my son called me and, and he's, He's saying that he wants to go into treatment, but I've done this, you know, six times and I've shown up and then he he won't go. So I just don't know. What do you guys think? Should I, you know, should I go? Should I do this? And because you get you just don't know what to do. And and as I said, many times your your parenting skills sadly don't work. And and your natural instinct of run, rescue, help, fix you know, do all that, especially with an adult, that doesn't, that doesn't tend to work when somebody's got a substance that's hijacked their brain and they're making really bad decisions. And, and they're, you know, and I, this is hard for people to get their head wrapped around, but most people from the outside know exactly because they see it and they understand it, but they're manipulating, you know, they're manipulating you. They're, they're trying to get what they want. And sadly, as a parent, you're like, I don't want to believe that. I just, I just want to believe that they're, you know, gonna to talk to me like they always did and they're they're gonna be honest with me. And and yet there's a part of their brain, that part that makes those decisions that's that's been, you know, altered. And now that's the part where they're not really behaving normally. And that's where you start to understand from the education. It's like, why would they do that? Why would they not be honest with their own parents? Why would they why would they do things that lead to self-destructive behavior? Why would they commit crimes? Why would they steal from you? Why would they? And you start to understand, and you start to realize this isn't a moral thing. This isn't. I taught my kids right from wrong. My wife and I taught our kids right from wrong. All the parents that come to our PAL meetings, I've never met one that didn't teach their kids that it's wrong to to steal and it's wrong to not, you know, be honest. But that's because. Most people don't understand. That's not what this is. It's not a moral failing. This is something where that part of their brain has been hijacked. And these drugs are powerful. And and they they take over that position in your brain that says, this is more important to me than anything else. And that even includes how I treat others and what I do to get what I want.
1: If you've just joined us I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look... My guest today is Kim Humphrey. He is the executive director of PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. When you were describing addiction, I was thinking about rats in research experiments where rats are exposed to things like cocaine and they keep going back over and over and over again to get more. Something has literally taken over their little rat brains. And the way that you're describing addiction, it's similar in adult humans that where rational behavior is suddenly pushed aside and people are willing to do whatever it takes to get the next whatever, the next bag, the next line, the next hit, whatever it is. And like you said, I can imagine it would be extremely difficult for parents to understand what happened to my kid. I raised him well. All of a sudden he is acting completely different. What would you say to a parent who is experiencing a loved one who is addicted to some sort of substance, how would you explain the basics of addiction to that person?
0: I think the the easiest way to understand it is to realize there's a difference between what you would consider to be addiction or substance use disorder versus, say, abuse or misuse or or uh, even just um, casual, you know, use of something. People say, well, I can have a a glass of wine and I don't, you know, have to have a whole bottle. I don't have to keep drinking. I can, you know, whatever, and they can pick a drug and they can say, you know, well, I can just use this and it doesn't affect me that way. And I don't start doing those types of things. Well, that's how you start to understand. You know, uh, I've dealt with a number of people and, and alcohol is a good example. You know, they they get in trouble, you know, they they're they're out and they're at a party, they're college age, you know, and they they have too much to drink and they drive. And the next thing you know, they're being pulled over and they're being arrested and they're being charged with uh you know driving under the influence. And you know, I was talking to somebody and they tell me this and I and they say, you know, you know, what should I do? I don't know what to do. And you know, I have a previous career in law enforcement, so I start explaining, you know, how the system works and I say, listen you know, you just, there's consequences to this. And I hope you learned your lesson. And they're like, oh my gosh, I will never, I will never do that again. And they're not saying I will never drink again. They might. But what they're saying is, is that, you know what, I, that was, I've never had anything happen to me like that. I'm not doing that again. And they don't, let's just say they, 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 you know what, they pay the consequence for their action and they, you know what? They, they are responsible from that point forward and they don't do that. OK, that's somebody who had an issue. That's somebody who might have had a sum of a problem. That's somebody who might have abused alcohol that day. But here's the difference. Somebody else has the exact same experience and they get pulled over and they get arrested. And the officer processes them and does everything and then says, OK, well, we're actually going to be releasing you tonight pending your your court date and all of that. And they put them in a cab and send them home. They get in the cab and they tell the cab driver, or they tell the Uber driver, take me to the first bar that they come to. And they go right back into a bar and they start drinking again. And they get pulled over again the same night. Consequences are no longer something that seem to affect you. In other words, it's got such a grip that even though you had something extremely negative happen, you keep doing it. That's, to me, the easiest way for somebody to understand. Somebody has gone from maybe use and abuse to where they can't help it anymore. They've got cravings. They've got issues that are going on that are saying to them, no, this is more important than the consequences of my actions.
1: And it's a physiological response. To the substance,
0: exactly, exactly, and and particularly in today's world with with opioids and and most people are understanding now with all the you know the information that has come out how the opioids in particular affect that that part of your brain that part that makes decisions, and so once it's got a hold on that, as you said earlier, they do things that you don't expect, and the easiest way for me to help. People understand that is think of it as taking over the number one position in your life. So think of it as it's more important than air. So if drugs are more important than air to me, and if I were to say, okay, I take you and I hold you underwater, what would you do to get air? And the answer is, of course, I'd do anything. I, I you know, I need air to live. You're right. So now you understand what kind of grip these drugs have on them because it is now above air in their own minds.
1: You have a personal experience with addiction with your own family. Can you tell us briefly about what that was like for you and your wife?
0: Yeah, you know, I, sometimes I I think about it and I as, as I said earlier, I'm like we really never, ever would have believed something like this could happen. I mean, seriously, there—it's like we raised our our kids believing that we were following, you know, whatever that that magic recipe is. That is, okay, you're going to have great kids if you do this, this, and this. And so, you know, in our particular case, uh, you know, there was no there was no trauma, drama, you know, things like that, other than the typical things that you know families deal with, and. And I'll never forget when my son, older son was 15 and we received a call from a woman and, and, and we were sitting around in the living room. And My wife answered the phone and the woman said, uh, hey, I need to talk to you. And I know you, you don't know me very well, but you've met me at school and, and my daughter goes to school with your son. And, and I don't know how to say this other than my daughter and her friends are very concerned that your son is going to overdose. And my wife is like, what are you talking about? They're very concerned he's going to overdose. And she says, You called the wrong house. Our son's in school. He's not having problems. We don't, he doesn't even smoke. He doesn't do anything. He's he's fine. He's 15 years old. He's, you know, like this. And she insisted that she was calling the right place and that they were very concerned. And honestly, you know, when we called our son in and we we confronted him, and the first words out of his mouth were, What? I would never do anything like that. Why would you even think that? And when we said, well, this is what the person said, and I I started thinking, well, I think we better do a drug test. And why? You don't trust me? Well, that was kind of my answer right there. And I, I couldn't believe it when we finally got a drug test out of him, 15 years old, and he tests positive for opioids. We went from zero, no problem, no knowledge, no anything, to we have a son that is taking opioids and we just thought oh my gosh what are we going to do a 15 year old so we did what everybody i would think would do and that is is we reached out we we tried to get him the help he needed and you know we took him to the doctor we took him to a counselor we took him anywhere and everywhere we could take him and to kind of cut to the point of what started to happen is, is it it got worse i mean everything we tried he just kept getting worse. And then he started having problems at school. And then he started not showing up for things at school. And we'd find out he hadn't been there for days at a time. And we couldn't figure out where he was going or what he was doing. And then he started not looking well. And then he started getting worse. And over the course of a few years, it just, I couldn't even believe what was happening. And we had a younger son and we were like, you know, he was seeing this, he's four years younger. And he, he was like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going off to college. Everything is going to be fine. And, you know, and all that. And off he went to college and he was doing great for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden he dropped out of school. And then the next thing we know, we were talking to him and he tells us that he's gone down the same road. And I'm thinking, I, I, My wife and I are like, are we the worst parents on the planet? I mean, what have we done? That was part of the problem is that's how we were looking at it. What did we do? Well, it's like, that's why Pal was so helpful because we realized it wasn't what we did. And that was the hard part for us to accept and realize because we were we were killing ourselves over it. We were getting sick. I was getting physically ill. My wife was just becoming more and more like of a recluse and we don't want to see people and talk because you don't, what do you say to people? Hey, how's your kids doing? Oh, well, my, my, my two sons are, are using drugs and I don't even know where they are. And matter of fact, my older son is now living on the street somewhere and I can't find him. And last time I heard from him, he had was in the hospital. I think he overdosed, but we don't even know. Really. You know, you start that's normal conversation. people don't want to hear that, and they and and then they start thinking, Well, what did you do? People said that? What did you do wrong? I don't know <laughs> I don't know all, all I know is is that it just obviously it just continued to get worse, and so that's when, after several years of this, you know, my wife actually was online and found uh, you know pal, and we showed up so That's kind of how it started. And um, unfortunately, it continued to get worse.
1: If you just joined us, I'm Monica Kelly with Closer Look. And my guest today is Kim Humphrey, Executive Director of PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. And Kim and his wife found PAL after dealing for several years with their own two sons who were dealing with addiction. Once you joined PAL, Kim, how did things look for you and your wife? How did they change?
0: I finally realized that we weren't the only ones dealing with this. And I know that sounds silly because people know how prevalent this issue is. But, you know, when you're a parent and you just don't want to believe it. And when we showed up at that meeting the first time, I, I, I sat there week after week for like six weeks and I didn't say anything. And my wife, my wife would participate, but I just sat there. And eventually after six weeks of of listening, The facilitator got around the room to me and he said, did you have something you wanted to say? And I'm like, no, he goes, you kind of look like you have something you want to say. No, come on. You know, you've been here for a while. What's what are you thinking about? What's going on? I said, "Okay, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about. I've been here for six weeks. And I have been waiting for you to tell me how to fix my sons. And you haven't told me that when are you going to tell me how to do that? He said, Oh, I understand. He says, so basically you're a fix it person. Well, yeah. So, so your goal here is, is you're going to try and figure out how to do what you do best and that's fix things. And I said, well, of course. He says, well, here's something I need to share with you. And listen very carefully. You can't fix your sons." We could work on you. Would you like to do that? And I'm thinking, me? I don't have the problem. (laughs) Why why are you? Why do you want to work on me? He said, listen, if you can work on changing even your outlook of what you think you can and can't do, he goes, I'm just going to suggest to you that maybe the changes you make might be what leads to them getting the help that they need, but you're not going to be the one that fixes them. You need to work on what you do and how you respond to this. And, and I was like, I don't understand. You know, he goes, well, then that's why you need to keep coming, because you can do a better job at how you're parenting this, because honestly, the world gets turned up upside down in this scenario. And what you think is the right thing to do is probably not. And I know this sounds absolutely ridiculous to somebody that, that is on the outside looking in. And he's, and I say this, and I, I am just saying it as, just to be honest, people, if, if you said there's somebody standing here in front of you that clearly has a problem with drugs, and they're literally looking at you and saying, would you give me a bunch of cash right now because I really need it? And you're of course everybody else is going, Well, what do you think they're gonna do with the cash? And you go, Well, of course they're gonna buy drugs with it. But you know what? As a parent, you got these blinders and you just put them on and you're just like, but they said they just needed to get some new clothes to get a job interview so that they could make money so they could get a job because that's what they know that that, you know, I want them to do. And then they could and and then they start down this road and you're like, Are you kidding? Of course that's not what they're doing when they're on opioids, they can't make those kinds of decisions. They don't do that. They're manipulating you. They're just trying to get money, and you're like, huh? But you know what? You start to realize, you know, I've got to, I got to change how I'm doing this. I've got to, I, I got to not react when they call in the middle of the night and they're in some insane scenario. And I got to start responding instead. And that response needs to be well thought out. And and I not, I don't need to have these instant answers like. Oh my gosh, let me jump out of here and run across town and do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. I need to wait a second here. And that's what we started to learn. How to talk to them like an adult, how to be loving and and kind to them, but learn how to set boundaries, learn how to respond to this in a different way. And that's you know what we started to do. And I will tell you that we did start to see changes when we started to make the changes in how we we're dealing
1: with them, As you were describing what I know is enabling behavior. So the parent gets the phone call in the middle of the night, mom, dad, I'm in trouble. I just need a couple of bucks to, you know, get away from my bad situation or whatever it is. And as a parent, first of all, you have that sort of high level anxiety. You're worried already all the time about your child. You are so excited to hear from them. Maybe, maybe it's been a while. And so you want to help out. You want to bail them out, whatever you're saying whatever happens. And you're suggesting instead to pause. And sometimes I think as parents, we think as our children get older, that they should be able to make better decisions. But when addiction comes in, all bets are off. I can imagine you and your wife probably stopped doing some of the enabling behavior. What ultimately happened with your sons?
0: Learning to love them in a different way was really the key. And love didn't mean you had to hand them over money. But of course, we could could pray for them. We could we could be there for recovery and sobriety when they wanted it. But I will tell you that it went downhill and they started getting involved in criminal behavior, very significant, significant criminal behavior. And, you know, in my career in law enforcement, I I was receiving phone calls from people I worked with. And one day I got that call and it was from somebody I knew. And they said, listen, we've got your sons in custody and it's pretty serious. and I got to tell you, you know, I don't have to put them in jail right now, but I need to know what you want me to do because they're going to be facing some serious consequences. I could technically release them. What do you want me to do? And I said, you know, at this point, I want you to do whatever you think it takes to save their lives. And he said, they need to go to jail. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, they did. And let's just say that it got worse. There were multiple relapses multiple overdoses that where they survived these things and they were in the hospital over and over again and it was just like it was unbelievable and after almost ten years with our older son, we had finally come to the point where we realized we were not going to be the solution to this and we had to we had to have a life and we had finally decided on a Christmas that we were going to go out of town and we we were, we were ready to travel. And the next thing you know, our, our, uh, our phone rings. And by the way, this had happened just a year before. Same exact scenario. And it's a hospital. And our older son's in there again. And he's in very bad shape. But the year before, he was too. And we had canceled our plans. And we had gone down and we sat with them, And for two weeks, and he finally gets out of the hospital, promising he's going to get better, promising he's going into treatment again, to just go right back out and do it again and we were just devastated. And so when it happened the second time, we finally just, were sitting there and I couldn't believe it, that phone rang and here he is again. We were literally getting ready to go out the door. And the, the person was a nurse and she said, he's really bad, he wants to see you. I asked them a couple of questions. She didn't seem to have any answers to really how bad he was. And I finally asked if I could talk to anybody else that could give me a better idea of you know, his condition. And she actually had the doctor who had walked in the room and put the doctor on the phone. And I asked the doctor just flat out, do you think our son is going to survive? And he said, that's a strange question.
1: I just want to know.
0: And he says, well, we're going to do the best we can. So do you think he's going to survive? Well, in my opinion, I think he will. I said, okay, would you please tell our son that we love him very much, but we're not coming down there to visit him. We're going on vacation. I realize for some people that might be hearing this, they might be saying, seriously? And I'm like, I want you to be, be there with me for 10 years of doing this. And you want to know something? Our son tells that story today. And the reason he tells that story today is because he was sitting in that bed and he said to himself, I have got to do something to get my family back. I have got to do something to change this. This has got to end. And he said he looked up out of that bed and he said, God, you're the only one that can do this. I cannot do this. And a few days later, he was checked out of that place, checked himself into a treatment program again, spent 30 days there, contacted another treatment program that was a long-term one, had his own transportation set up, got himself into that program, spent almost a year there. In the process of that, he tracked down his brother and he spent about 3 months trying to find him and he finally got a hold of him got him to come in got him to go into treatment they paid the price for some things that they had done they had to deal with the the criminal issues and all that other stuff but you know what today i have two of the most amazing sons you could ever imagine my older son is married i have two beautiful grandchildren that i thought i would never have and they have almost Nine years of of sobriety and recovery. My younger son is an IT professional. They both own their own homes. They were all just over here, you know, over over the weekend. And we just had a wonderful time. But that was years and years before we ever saw that coming. And so it's just, it's truly an amazing thing. And I cannot help but say, you know what? My dreams for what my sons would be are changed. Because now, you know what really matters? They're loving, they're kind, they're giving. And why are they that way? Because of what they went through. And they'll even tell you, they have no regrets. None. They're, they're like, I guess that's what we needed to do to learn how to be who we are. And I'm like, well, thank God, because I didn't think we were going to survive it.
1: Your story is absolutely incredible. You have expressed how being a part of PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones, has impacted your life and your wife's life and of course your entire family's life. If somebody is listening right now and they want to find out where a meeting is that's close or online, what should they do?
0: So if you just go to palgroup, dot uh and you will find our website. There's a find a meeting button on there. You click on that. It'll tell you if there's a meeting near you. We have in-person meetings uh, pretty much throughout the United States. We even have people from foreign countries now attending our virtual meetings. So if you don't see one that's near you, uh, you can either, one, you can reach out to us and, and there's information on there about how to get a meeting started or two, there's virtual meetings and we have those pretty much every night of the week uh, that people attend and even during the Sometimes. So if you cannot attend a meeting, there's virtual meetings. You have to sign up for those. The the in-person meetings you just show up to. So it's pretty easy. Everything is free. There's no charge. Just show up and people are going to be there and they're going to walk alongside you.
1: Thank you again. My guest is Kim Humphrey, Executive Director of PAL, Parents of Addicted Loved Ones. And you can find out more about Pal at palgroup.org. Thank you so much for being on the show again today, Kim. Thank you again. For Closer Look, I'm Monica Kelly.